Hey guys, welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. It's December the 9th. I had to stop and think about that for a minute. December 9th, 2021, and this is episode 42 of the workshop podcast and the fourth edition in our preparedness series. But before we dive into all of our electrical uh, advice, uh, not advice, <laughs> before we dive into all of that, we've got a couple announcements to get out of the way, guys. So first off, if you guys are listening to this on PBN and you want to know a little more about me, I have a YouTube channel as well. This is streamed on YouTube. And if you could do me a favor, if you still have a YouTube account or if you go over there on a regular basis, I'm shooting to hit 3,000 subscribers by the new year getting really close just up i think i got 112 to go so if you don't mind popping over there it's youtube.com slash c slash toolman tim's workshop and just hit the subscribe button and help support the channel so thanks guys and number two uh you guys will hear me throughout all of these episodes and all of my podcasts talk about a ton of different gear and if you're wondering hey does tim have a recommendation for something there's a good chance I probably do. I've probably used something in my handyman business. So easiest way to find out, well, first off, you can ask me. I never mind that at all, but run by toolmantim.shop. And over there, right now, I got over 100 pieces of gear listed. I got another 150 coming this winter. All stuff I've either uh, used and abused in my handyman business, either made me money or saved me money, stuff that I've tested that works. And if you pick any of that up through the Amazon links, then it just helps support the content that I create. So thanks, guys. Uh, number three, the, this is our last live stream, our last repairedness episode until the new year. I'm getting ready to go flying on a jet plane in uh, about 36 hours from now, me and my two twins we're heading out east uh, to Nova Scotia for 10 days. So that'll be fun. But I decided to, I was, I had planned on shutting things down for two weeks over Christmas anyway. And this came up kind of a family emergency thing, like you guys know at this point. So we uh, decided to shut her down for three weeks. And if you go over to the YouTube channel, there will be uh, pre-recorded content being put out on Thursdays and Sundays all the way through the holidays. So there'll always be something there, but I'm going to miss you guys. I love the live interaction. To me, this is the most, well, I mean, as far as my content creation, this is the most fun I have on a regular basis is when I get to sit down with you guys and have a chat. So, and uh, last but not least, uh, if you guys haven't, uh, if you're on the YouTube channel and you don't necessarily follow uh, PBN, that's the Prepper Broadcast Network, some, I, I got ear, uh, earbuds in my ears. If I'm out working and I'm working by myself, I definitely do. Hey, Charlotte, how are you? There's my daughter, one half of the evil twins. Um, yeah, and don't know when I'll be back again. That's right, John. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, like I said, I, I've been listening to everything PBN put out this week. And some of the highlights for sure, uh, the intrepid commander James himself, he talked about stacking silver. Got me so excited. I messaged him and I'm like, we need to do something together on this because your story's just like mine. And yeah, uh, and then uh, so, uh, father and son, Ryan and Colin from the Next Generation podcast this week, they talked about post-apocalyptic hygiene. That was right up my alley. I like that. And then the Matter of Facts guys talked about properly training uh, their term fur missile, which is, you know, uh, a trained dog. And I thought that was a pretty cool uh, terminology for it. So yeah, anyway, guys, if you're on the YouTube channel and you need more content to listen to, uh, good evening, Amy. How are you? Uh, if you need more content, subscribe to PBN, Prepper Broadcast Network, in your podcatcher feed because, 
man, they fill me up uh, between the survival podcast, living free in Tennessee and everything on PBN. Yeah, there is a ton of survival and prepper related content to listen to. All right. So let's dive in tonight. We're going to talk about electrical. We're going to talk about things that you might want to try at home. But disclaimer, this is not advice. It's only a I should use a Doc Bones disclaimer here, but this is only advice for post-apocalyptic situations. But no, this is just my experience. So anything I say, please take a minute and vet it and make sure that you're comfortable with it. So from there, I know I've told this story a few times, but back in the day, hey, Brian from the Lots Project, how are you tonight, sir? Any, so back in the day when I first started at the hardware store and I was being trained on all the different departments, they always told me, if you give somebody bad plumbing advice, the worst they're going to end up with is wet feet. But if you give someone poor electrical advice, the worst they're going to end up is dead. So disclaimer, don't do anything that you're not comfortable with, that you don't have the know-how to do at least, or, you know, just like I say, slightly above where you are. Uh, number two, always turn off the main breaker before you get started. <laughs> that is key. We should know this, but I need to go through it. <laughs> and number three, an incredible tool to have is a circuit tester. So when you're working, especially with electrical, make sure, uh, two things, make sure that you know the breaker's off or the main switch is off, and then test that circuit with a circuit tester to make sure that it is actually off. There. Okay. Now, with all that fun and positive stuff out of the way, first thing I want to say is electrical, it doesn't have to be nearly as scary or as intimidating as one might think. It, it never hurts to have a healthy respect for it and even a fear for what it can do. But with the right tools and the right safety procedures and precautions, you can do some of this electrical work yourself, especially in a situation you know, the art of home maintenance when help isn't around the corner. Just, you know, always, always, always keep in mind where that main shutoff is just in case shit goes sideways and you need to get there and turn that off. So remember, it's not nearly as scary or as intimidating as one might think it could be. So let's talk a little bit about information first. We're going to, I want to hit the high points of what exactly you're going to find in an electrical uh, system in your home. Then I want to talk about four preventative things we can do that will hopefully, you know, my big old mantra, preparedness is prevention, prevention is preparedness. <laughs> John Palmer says, do not ride the lightning. We got to get that one up in the live stream for you, buddy. And yeah, so we're going to talk about the different types of electrical system. Then we're going to talk about four preventions we can do to uh, eliminate problems before they happen. And then we're going to talk about 10 quick jobs that might be something you want to tackle. You know, they always say, don't try this at home. Well, these might be things you just want to try at home. So let's give it a shot. So first off, if you buy a house or if your home is pre-1970s, there's a pretty good chance that you might have a fuse panel in your home. Now, if you haven't, if, if you're too young to remember what fuses are, it's probably a good thing, but they're those little circle glass things that screw into little sockets. The main on those tend to be a big metal handle. I always thought it was funny that the shutoff was a metal handle, but a metal handle 
with a plastic housing that have two great big tube fuses in it. And you grab a hold of that with your big beefy uh, meaty paws like mine and you just pull the whole damn thing right out and that will shut it off. And inside there's going to be two uh, great big 220 volt fuses. So that's the way to do that. Now with breakers, of course, it's usually just the one main breaker at the very top. So as far as uh, your, your old fuse system, keep some of those on hand. You're always going to burn them out. Now, don't do what the old timers used to do and replace the fuse with a penny. Don't replace the fuse with something that's rated more than what it should be. So if it's a 15 amp circuit and you keep popping a fuse, well, first off, you can get a delayed burn fuse. So there's some that'll have like a little extra. If, you, if your power is fluctuating or things like that, you can get fuses that will just take a little extra oomph before they burn or pop. So that's something to think about. But don't exceed your rating. If they keep blowing, there's something wrong, whether you got a defective item, you've got a short in there, whatever it is, but just don't exceed the rating of those for sure. Um, now, the big thing about breakers, now, you know, I, I did some research for this <laughs> and going back, actually, some of the earliest breakers were from the late 1930s. I had no idea. Now, Amy, uh, Amy Dingman from Farmer's Kind of Life said, I grew up in a house with fuses, and my first house after I married had fuses. It was so crazy to move to a house here at the farm that didn't have a fuse system. Yeah, so when I was a kid, mom and dad's house had fuses. And then they, in 93, they had some serious renovations done. The electrical had to be upgraded, so we got, we were lucky enough to get breakers, and I loved them. And then Becky and I, I got married, first house had breakers. Next host had breakers and then we had fuses and I hadn't had fuses in years. And of course, you know, you go downstairs to flip a breaker and you realize, damn it, it's Sunday night and I don't have a fuse on hand. Now, dad, of course, he always used to keep a whole bunch of fuses. <laughs> He'd stack them up in the, um, the floor joists. So there'd always be a few up there. And of course, again, it was always the fun job of <laughs> you'd go out and grab a fuse and then you have to hold it up to the light because if you look inside the fuse, you can actually see whether the filaments burn out or not. And quite often we'd take the old ones and set them up there too. But yeah, so it, it's a totally different way of life. Some people actually prefer fuses, but the big reason, well, beyond being um, reusable, the, the big reason they switched to breakers was so that you couldn't um, swap them out for something that wasn't rated. So, you know, if you have a, a full system that's rated for 15 amps, your breaker's 15 amps, you, unless you're really comfortable with electrical, you're not going to run down there and swap that out for a 20 amp breaker. However, just about any, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry can swap out a 15 amp fuse for a 20 amp fuse. So that was where the danger came in was people were putting fuses that were rated too high. And what would happen is if there was trying to draw too much current through the electrical, it could end up causing a fire. So that's the big one. But yeah, so if you're comfortable with fuses, uh, John Palmer says, I have fuses on my HVAC. Everything else is breakers. Yes. And that is still a thing quite often. And so we're going to, I need to digress slightly in this. I'm not an expert in electrical. I've done a lot of stuff on my own and there may be some things that if you ask questions, I don't necessarily know the full answer to, but I will find it out for you. Uh, like, like this whole fuse thing with the HVAC, uh, if it's like my, I have a little pony panel for my central air unit and it's like that as well. So I'm not exactly sure what the reason for that is, but it is a thing. Now, if you're looking at normal household wire, and this is where it's really exciting. <laughs> if you ever wondered, if you ever go to the hardware store, or if you're just in your basement walking around and looking, 
you're going to notice, at least if, if it's something that's been wired in the last 20 years, your wire is going to be color-coded as well, which is kind of cool. White is your normal 14 gauge. And I'm going to try not to throw too many numbers at you, but your normal plugs in a home that you just plug any old 1500 watt item into is going to be 15 amp and it's going to run on 14 wire 14 gauge wire you're going to see that as white then as the numbers get smaller the wire gets bigger and so the next one you go up to is 12 gauge that's going to be yellow that tends to be for 20 amp circuits now a lot of the plugs, dedicated plugs that you're going to see in kitchens are now 20 amp circuits. A lot of the yellow wires being used there. That's something uh, quite a bit newer. Uh, it hasn't been nearly as big. It was actually just starting to come in when I was finishing up at the hardware store um, about a decade ago. Uh, and then number 10 is going to be your orange. And that is going to be um, 10 gauge and it is going to run mainly drier. So you're going to see the thicker. It's going to be what they call 14.3. You can also read any of your wires. So if you're going back a little bit further before things were color-coded and you're wondering what kind of wire you have, even back then, a lot of times it would have just been black or silver and it'll have writing on it. And you're going to see, you can read and it's going to have say 14 slash two. And what that means is it's 14 gauge wire. It's going to have two wires in there. It's actually going to have three, but the two refers to the black hot wire and the white neutral wire. And then there's always going to be a bare or sometimes green, but mostly bare ground wire. And then if you have say 10-3, that's your orange wire that your 220 dryer runs on, you're going to have three wires in there plus a fourth bare ground wire. So hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. I didn't want to get too technical or complicated, but I always find I like to know a little bit behind how things work, how they're laid out, what exactly makes up the systems. And like I said, inside, basically no matter what color wire it is, you, you might see the metal wire, which is BX. You might see a black heavier duty coating, which is underground direct burial. Uh, anyway, whatever, when you cut that open, you're gonna see a black wire and a white wire. And if it has three wires in it, you're also gonna see a red. And then of course the bare ground. So when we're dealing with electricity, and this is kind of the, I don't wanna get, you know, too deep into the numbers, but there's three numbers you want to look at. We got watts, we have volts, and we have amps. And the simplest way to figure it out, and if you can do a little multiplication, it's easy, but you take volts multiplied by amps gives you watts. So most regular household electricity is 110 volts, roughly. 110, 120, depending on, you know, who you're talking to and that sort of thing. So let's just use 110, take 110 volts, times your normal circuit of 15 amps is going to give you right around 1,650 watts. Easiest way to remember is 1,500 because they, they have a little safety margin built in and anything that you can plug into a normal household socket will never be rated for more than 1,500 watts. So no matter, here's a fun little story. When you go to Walmart and you see you got 17 different space heaters on the wall. You got to know that none of them can create more power than any other one. Some might be underpowered, but the absolute maximum you're ever going to get, no matter how fancy, no matter how many lies they tell you in their advertising is 1500 watts. And 1500 watts of electricity out of this or that are, is going to make the same amount of power. So anything you can plug in into a normal plug will never be more than 1500 watts. Basically, you can run a space heater 
or a single air conditioner unit on any one circuit before you're going to pop your breaker. So hopefully that makes a bit of sense for you. So four things. Yeah, I had four fingers held up there, making sure I got the four horsemen going on. So four areas. When we first start out, some of the easiest things you can do, or uh, some of the things maybe you're not going to do, is some of these areas of prevention when we're dealing with electrical. So first thing, if I always like to talk about, you know, the, the best thing is to buy a home that already has a lot of this stuff in place. However, if it doesn't, if you're looking at a new home, or if you've just bought a new home, the first thing to look at, of course, is the old wiring and wiring systems. <laughs> now, if you guys have ever seen, if anybody, you can put your hand up in the comments if you have, or if anybody's ever had any homes with it, the oldest wiring around right back to what Alexander Graham Bell and um, the other guy, I can't remember his name right now. Anyway, right back to the early 1900s is knob and tube wiring. That's basically a very thin wire with paper thin insulation around the outside. And they ran... Each of those, your, your hot and your neutral, ran separately in knobs and tubes. They look like porcelain little insulators, like those things that you see up on the telephone poles near um, the train tracks, that kind of stuff. So that's some of the oldest. Now, the house we're in now has a few of those still in it. They're not active. They've all been cut out. But yeah, John held his hand up. Absolutely. I'd give you a high five there if I could. So if, if, first off, if you ever go to look at a home and they still have active knob and tube wiring in it, run, run, run the other way, or at least put it in the buyer's contract that it needs to be replaced before you move in. The old house that we had, that we owned before we came out here, that we sold a few years ago, actually still had some active knob and tube wiring in it. I have no idea how it passed in section when we bought the place but I found it a year or two later and it kind of blew my mind. And I thought, you know what? I'm just not going to touch it. So first off, if you've got some of that early 1900s, you know, up to kind of the, I'm not exactly sure where they cut it off, but get rid of that knob and tube wiring. Another one is aluminum wiring. I don't know the whole ins and the outs of it, but it tends to be a little more dangerous for fires. And that was a big thing, I believe in the sixties and seventies. I have to check my dates on that for sure. But have aluminum wiring replaced. And if you go to buy a home now, uh, well, if you go to build one for sure, but if you go to buy one and you walk in, go to your basement and you want to look or wherever the electrical panel is and you want to look at that top breaker or the uh, the rating on the fuse panel. And if anything, if it's anything under a hundred amps, get rid of it or at least have it upgraded before you, you buy it. Or again, if you've already, if you already own it, put that on the list of getting done as soon as possible because you want to eliminate any or all of these issues before they happen. And hundred having something under 100 amps, like where my wife's daycare is right now, I can't remember if it's 40 or 60 amps. I just went to secure a bank property the other day. It had an old 70 amp um, breaker panel. And then I went over to a rental the other day and it had a 70 amp breaker panel in it, didn't even have a main shutoff in it. So if you see anything really old, really tiny breaker panels, put it on your list to get it replaced. Now I'm not telling you to do this. This is one of those things that you're probably better off to get an electrician to do. But again, prevention. So get this shit done before the shit hits the fan. Get it done when you either have the money or the inclination or the time to hire someone to do it for you so that you don't have to deal with a huge problem down the road. And then you can deal with all the small problems yourself. So as far as, yeah, 
old wiring, aluminum, knob and tube, or any service under 100 amps. And again, if you're not sure, look at that main breaker at the top and it's going to have a rating. It's going to say 100, 70, or 200. A lot of the newer homes have 200 amp service, as they call it. Now, number two, we're going to talk about extension cords. I have a problem with extension cords. I'm not going to lie. I really do. <laughs> I uh, stockpile them. I never seem to have enough. Every time we go to the store, my wife kind of laughs at me. She picked up a nice Stanley extension cord for my daughter one day, and she um, <laughs> she brought it home. She accidentally left it in the back of the truck, and I seen it. And I got all excited. I'm like, oh, how sweet, honey. You bought me an extension cord. And it turned out she bought it for my daughter. And that's okay. I didn't need it. But then she went and bought me one anyway because I was a good little boy. So yeah, I have an, a problem with extension cords, but there are a ton of fires that can happen with extension cords. One of our neighbors uh, across the way, uh, down the shore where we lived years ago, their house burnt down because they ran their deep freezer on an extension cord. And then somehow they must've moved their freezer and the foot ended up sitting on top of the electrical cord for who knows, years, two, three, four years until it finally worked its way through, arced and shorted and caused a fire and burnt their house down. So it wasn't good. Now, backing up here, John says the electricity doesn't flow through aluminum as efficiently as copper and hence causes it to heat up easier. So that absolutely makes sense because I know the big thing was cost. Everybody seemed to love aluminum at the time because it was cheaper. But then soon after I knew they had, it, there was some more fires involved with it. So yeah, that makes sense, John. Thank you, man. So yes, okay, extension cords. Don't set something on top of them. Just like I said, bad idea. Don't tie them in knots unless you absolutely have to. Like if it's temporary, you know, like sometimes I will tie, like if I'm using an electric hedge trimmer, I will tie the end in a knot to keep it into place, but don't ever permanently tie an extension cord in a knot because it can, you know, bind it up and cause heat or friction. Not never, never a good idea. Another thing, if you have an extension cord or any outlet in the wall, don't push your furniture hard up against them. I am wicked bad for this. And all of a sudden you'll go and you, <laughs> like just the other day, something wasn't plugged in and I look and I bent the whole hell right out of the extension cord because I'd had my nightstand pushed right up against it. So just keep an eye on that. Now, if you guys know those cheap, usually they're white, brown, or green extension cords. A lot of times they're ones you'll see uh, on the shelf next to the Christmas decorations that kind of stuff they're literally only good to plug in like a hundred watt lamp they're 16 or sometimes 18 gauge wire if you ever accidentally cut them damn things in half it basically looks like horse's hair in there the wire is so thin so don't ever honestly get rid of them the best you can chris dixon just said this sounds really cool flush mount power bars are the bomb well, I got to check those out, Chris. Uh, if you if you got a link, email me one and I will definitely uh, send it out through social because that sounds like something that could really solve some problems for me. So anyway, unless you absolutely have to, stay away from them thin little throwaway extension cords. If you're starting out and, and then something else you're going to notice when you go to Home Depot, Lowe's or Walmart, they always have some nice looking extension cords, but look at the gauge on them. Honestly, if you can afford it, buy 14 gauge extension cords. Now, I know I'm passionate about extension cords. You might say, well, but it's it's absolutely worth it. You, If you're going 25 feet or shorter, just go with a 14 gauge. That's your normal household wire. That way you know that you're going to have the wire 
that you need, the gauge you need in order for the, to pull the power through. Now, if you're going up to 50 feet, you got to go a little bigger, get a 12 gauge. And if you're going up to 100 feet, if you can find one, you really should use 10 gauge. But even if you have a 14 gauge or a 12 gauge extension cord, they're worth a lot more. If you're going to use them outdoors, get yourself a nice all-weather one. Ones that aren't going to crack and break as soon as... We, we had some in the oil patch that we used to plug our rigs into at night. And we had to get rid of them every single year because they weren't made to be outdoors. And what would happen is the cold, you, we would wrap them around the front of the rig all day and then unwrap them at night. And the cold would literally crack it to pieces. So like every two feet, we'll just have another ring of a crack and then the water would get in there. So get yourself something that's good. If you live where, you know, the air can hurt your face literally or kill you, get yourself something that's rated to minus 40, but get something that's flexible in the hot or the cold and get yourself something with a nice lit end. So you always know you have power when you do. Check your, your amp ratings on them suckers. 15 amps is super important. If it's rated for anything less than 15 amps, don't bother. Because again, remember what I said? Anything you can plug into a wall needs to be rated or is rated for 1500 watts and 15 amps. Uh, if it's not, get rid of it. And they recommend, again, don't use... Uh, if, if you can help it, don't use an air conditioning unit and don't use an electric space heater plugged into extension cords. Even though they're rated for that, you know, day in and day out, you're absolutely just putting a ton of power through there and things are going to heat up and expand and soften and you just, you're going to have a bad day. Honestly, am I saying I've never run an, uh, an air conditioner off, a, off of an extension cord? No, I have, but I certainly don't run space heaters off them at least air conditioners kick on kick off usually but space heaters again they're just created to get as much power as they can through and turn it into heat and if you're not careful you're going to end up burning them up or at least burning the ends that kind of stuff so yeah be careful have a fire extinguisher around uh, you guys know i'm big into fire safety i like my little um first alert fire spray cans but have some sort of fire extinguisher that will um deal with electrical fire those are always a big deal just just to be safe guys and then you know sound like the the old man but always take a minute every so often and just give your extension cords an inspection if it's something you use all the time now most of the experts say you should never use an extension cord permanently it should always be just a temporary thing but a lot of us do use them more than maybe we should but take a minute give them an inspection the biggest thing you want to look for is on the female end you guys probably know this, maybe I should explain it, but um, they normally have a male and a female end. The male is the plugs that go into the wall and the female end is the uh, outlet receiver that the prongs would go into. So it, on the female end, if you ever see brown, like browning coming around or melting or you know heating up of any sort, get rid of that extension cord. Check it for cracks, check it for nicks. And if you're like me and you used to use uh, extension cords for electrical work, sorry, for yard work all the time, and it's pretty common to run it over with a push mower, <laughs> or my favorite is the electric hedge trimmer, zip right through. So you're going to get good. We're going to talk about fixing extension cords later on. That's a big, uh, I don't know, it's something, it's an easy win for us preppers, but it's also a way to save money and a way to extend the useful life of a tool so you don't have to throw it away and again a good kind of off-grid kind of option now number three for preventative measures with electrical is trees and you might say trees what in the hell okay now we've now we've jumped the shark we're talking about trees and it should be electrical but anyway 
remember, I've said this before, but don't plant a tree for where it's growing now. Plant a tree for where it's going to be in 20 years. Now, the biggest thing, I guess one of the biggest areas of power outages that you can end up having is when a tree falls over the power lines or a branch comes in contact with the power lines. <laughs> Charlotte says the electric hedge trimmer is fun to use. Yes, I get her to use that kind of stuff. It's always kind of fun. But keep an eye on trees, okay? So first off, this is seriously recommended and I've gotten, you know, I've, I've overstepped my bounds with it a little bit, but you really shouldn't try to cut limbs that are any closer than 10 feet to a power line because power can actually arc that far, especially in a live tree. Uh, they said dead trees are a little less likely, but I wouldn't risk it. So the big thing is to make sure you trim all these branches back before they ever get to the point where they're that close to your power lines. Because again, prevention is preparedness and preparedness is prevention. If you can keep those tree limbs back, all the better. Now, if you ever need to cut a tree down that is close to power lines, there's a few things you can do. <laughs> Actually, first off, the best thing you do is don't do what my cousin did. And they were way back in the woods and they decided there was a beautiful, great big tree that would make wonderful logs. And he cut it down and went over one of the main transmission lines and the entire county had no power for like a day. And I remember sitting around thinking, what idiot did something like that? And then my cousin was telling me the story that he was the idiot that dropped the tree, felled the tree right over the main transmission line. So one time years ago, dad and I had to cut down a really, really high pine tree. And it was actually leaning back towards some fairly big power lines. So what we did was we backed the tree, uh, the truck up, put a ladder up the tree, went up as high as I could, tied a rope off on the tree, then ran the rope to the bumper of the truck and drove the truck as far away as we could and put reverse tension on the tree. And then of course you just fell the tree like normal from there, you know, wedge it, cut it through and we were fine. But again, if you're not comfortable cutting trees down that are close to power lines, don't do it. Just a bad idea, but don't be like my cousin, of course, and knock out the power for an entire County and end up getting a, a fine in the tens of thousands of dollars. Never a good day. All right, so from there, the last one that we can look at uh, for prevention is things about uh, improper or no grounds. So if you go through houses, especially like my grandmother's old house, she's since moved out of it, but growing up, I always got a kick out of all the plugs in the walls because they were all two-pronged plugs and you couldn't obviously plug in the three-pronged three, pr the three plugs. Here we go, Mo a mouthful of peas here. So she bought some of those adapters. Uh, you've seen them before, possibly. They they plug into a two-prong plug, and you can put a three-prong plug in the back of them. Now, the only time they actually provide any protection is if you take the screw out of the faceplate and then put it into the bottom of that little adapter, and that electrical box is properly grounded. So basically, they're useless. So don't expect to use one of those and get any protection. They're just strictly for convenience. So what happens when something isn't properly grounded? Well, okay, let's go back and talk real quick about when something is properly grounded. And that is when that third bare wire in your electrical is attached to your box and then runs straight back to your panel. So if something shorts out and the electricity 
wants to jump into something, it's going to take the path of least resistance, that nice bare wire, and go straight back to the panel and not bother you. If it's not grounded, what it's going to do is you're going to have a bad day because that power is going to jump and it's going to pop and it's going to go straight out through you. Plus, it can cause fires. <laughs> of course, like I said, shock. And the biggest thing, well, not the biggest, but another issue is if you get sensitive equipment, especially like ham radio equipment or stereo equipment, televisions, it can end up burning stuff out a lot quicker. So what do you do if you have an old house that isn't properly grounded? Well, there's a few things. Uh, number one, you can, well, you can hire somebody to come in, but if you're interested, you can start grounding your old outlets. But that requires fishing wires through the walls and running your ground wire from your boxes back to your panel. Now, in some instances, some of them are grounded. They're just not attached to the box. If you're lucky, you can just use a short piece of wire. You have to Google that, but you can do it. Now, the other option is you can replace your outlets with GFI. That's the ground fault interrupters. Those are the ones that, as kids, we always like to push the little buttons on the plug in the bathroom, you know reset test reset test i used to do that until i'd burn them out at mom and dad's house uh, you can replace those now what it will do is it will protect you from shocks what it won't do is protect sensitive electronics so <laughs> pull all the the walls off and rewire yes brian that honestly is your best bet it really is because if you've bought a house that's that old you probably want to open up your walls and inspect them because they're <laughs> if you don't have things that are properly grounded Again, you're going to have a bad day, right? So yeah, a short-term fix for some plugs, if you want to be safe at least, is to put in the GFI. And what they are is they're going to end up kicking off before the power can go through you. Uh, so John Palmer says, on most of the fancy new switches and fixtures, if not grounded fully, will fry them. Oh, I believe it. I mean, anything with any sensitive digital uh, electronics in them, probably some of those Wi-Fi switches, any of that kind of stuff. Like you said, not grounded properly and gone just like that. So, but yeah, so that is something to check out. Um, and like I said, those two to three prong adapters don't offer any protection. They're just strictly for convenience. You know, are they wrong? Not really. They're just, they're not a protection. They're not a protection item. They're just a convenience item. So if you literally need to plug something in, do that. Buy one of them before you do what I've done before and grab a hold of that ground prong and pull it out with a pair of uh, channel lock pliers or cut it off with side cutters because you're just, yeah, you're introducing things you shouldn't do. I really should, I should have titled this video, do as I say, not as I do, because, you know, there's some things I've done over the years that are, uh, yeah, you know, just not the safest, right? <laughs> so we've talked uh, the first very go way back to a whole month ago when we started the Repairedness series. We talked about putting together a good toolbox, a Repairedness toolbox. And we really didn't talk a whole hell of a lot about electrical. So I got eight or 10 items here uh, just before we jump into the 10 electrical fixes. But uh, first off, if you only buy a single electrical tool, well, maybe a couple, but get yourself a good pair of wire strippers. Uh, the ratcheting ones are the ones that are automatically... Um, they only go in so deep and pull the wire off. They're incredible, but any pair and learn how to use them. I know that sounds simple, but yes. A good evening, Know Your Joe. How are you, buddy? Um, yeah, so first off, get yourself some good wire strippers. And then number two, like I said, get yourself a voltage detector. I spent years doing electrical work without a voltage detector, and 
I literally kicked myself for it. it it's literally a life-saving device that costs like 20 bucks. And it's just a fancy little uh, LED flashlight that also detects voltages. So get yourself some. Uh, a good headlamp, because of course, if you're doing uh, work with power off, well, you need to be able to see. So a good headlamp. I like the Coast brand. I use the 615 lumen one. Works great. Um, electrical tape, wire nuts, morettes, connectors, whatever you want to call them. Keep some of them in hand. Side cutters, like the little side cutter pliers or aviation snips. And some insulated screwdrivers. Uh, they're usually orange. Uh, get yourself a Phillips and a slot because those are the two you're going to be working with with electrical. On the plugs themselves are quite often Phillips, the star style, if you're not sure what those are. And then the slot is usually just for putting electrical plates back on the outlets, the switches, that kind of stuff. Um, and if you're real fancy, get yourself a pair of insulated gloves. Um, the electrician that did work for my wife at the daycare, he had some of them. He didn't always wear them. <laughs> and I was quite impressed by how unfazed he was by electrical. But he did say insulated gloves help a lot when you're dealing with heavy duty stuff. And uh, oh, Brian says, uh, learning to use a digital multimeter is valuable. Absolutely. And I imagine you probably deal with that uh, working on uh, like uh, in the petroleum gas pumps and things like that. But yes, that is, that's something I need to pick up as an, a good multimeter because I've never, or a multimeter, depending on how you pronounce it, but th they're definitely a tool to have. And then safety glasses, guys, have some safety glasses because you never know what's going to shoot out at you when uh, you might, you know, make the electricity go pop and uh, something goes crazy but <laughs> so okay top 10 electrical fixes that you might want to try at home instead of not trying at home you know but the first one is so simple i probably should have had it in a different category it's a project that i'd put off for two years and finally did it in an afternoon and it has paid dividends huge already and it's the first project you should absolutely do when you're getting ready to do electrical work and that is labeling an unlabeled electrical panel and that might sound boring, but it was something I knew I needed to do. And it really isn't that difficult. You don't even need any special tools if you don't want. Now, uh, Klein Tools, the same one that makes my voltage detector, they also do make a circuit tracer, which is pretty handy, actually. It worked really well for about 75% of the circuit tracing I needed to do. But there's nothing worse than going down to electrical panel, opening that damn door up, and there being literally no labels on it, or maybe some hen scratch from three owners ago, from 40 years ago that was done in pencil that's so faded you can't read it even if you could read his writing. So take a few minutes, you know, half a day or whatever it takes, and, and do this. Literally do it before you do anything else. Um, so number one, I, I like to call these zero jobs. And it's kind of my term for either doing a job that costs no money or doing a job using materials I have on hand already. And this is definitely a zero job because it costs nothing. There's a few different ways to do it. The first one could cost you a little if you want to buy a circuit tracer. But another way to do it, uh, Ted's not in here tonight, but he talked about doing this himself before. Plug a radio in upstairs and then go downstairs and start flicking your uh, breakers until you find the right one. When the radio shuts off, mark that down on a piece of paper. You know which one it is. Then go back upstairs and repeat the process over and over and over again. Or you can do it with a lamp. Um, you can turn, how do you do that? Turn all the power off and then turn each one on until you find the right one. And then the circuit tracer I had was really good for plugs, but it didn't work for uh, light bulbs. So you can buy a light bulb to plug adapter that would have worked, 
But you know what we did? I sent Charlotte upstairs on FaceTime and I said, Charlotte, I'm going to start flicking switches until it turns the lights off in your room. And then she's like, okay. So we did. And then we were able to find which breaker controlled which circuit. And it was awesome. It was super easy. But again, if you do nothing else, take your time and label your electrical panel. It's perfectly safe and it could save your life or save a really bad day, save you some money, a whole bunch of different things. But honestly, I'm a huge fan of zero projects and this is a zero project. It costs you nothing. Uh, I borrowed the label maker from my wife's uh, work at the daycare and I even made nice labels for the whole thing. So there you go. Number two, uh, if you ever have a faulty switch, it used to be a thing a lot more. It seemed like the old ones tended to wear out, although the new ones do too. But something you're going to find is electrical accessories for the most part are dirt friggin' cheap. You know, uh, standardize in your home all of one, like you guys will see the ones that were big in the 80s and the 90s, that those big wide decor switches and plugs. If that's what you want to use in your home, change all your plugs and all your switches to that. And then what I like about them is you only have to use one plate as well. So it's all standard, real simple. Change them out. Uh, but they're, like I said, they're cheap, less than 10 bucks for a 10 pack of switches, like two bucks for a 10 pack of plates. All that stuff is cheap, easy. Uh, just stock it away in your workshop or in your toolbox or whatever it happens to be, and then learn how to do them. So say you got a switch that isn't working anymore. You flick it and you know, you're know you getting a connection, but maybe it won't stay on or it's wearing out. Well, it's, it's simple, really. Uh, so again, go downstairs, turn your power off, and come back up, take your face plate off. That's literally one screw. Then you're gonna see two screws, top and bottom, take both of those out and then pull your switch out. Pull it gently because it's gonna have wires connected to it. Then the next thing you're gonna do is take your phone and you're gonna snap a picture of it because you wanna know what it looked like before you take it out. Simple, right? Then turn around, take those out, uh, unscrew, there should be probably three wires. You're gonna have a ground, a hot and a neutral. Take those off, put your new one in, follow the pattern, repeat the process, or you want to get really fancy something that i discovered recently and i really like them not everybody does but most plugs and switches now if you turn them over on the back where the um so real quick you're going to see a brass and a silver screw on switches and plugs so brass is the darker color that's where the black wire goes silver is a lighter color that's where the white wire goes now if you flip them over backwards you're going to see in there now most of them have push-in connections they're friggin incredible so you want to take in, uh, around three quarters of an inch of wire, get it bare, and just push it in until it kind of snaps into place and you are done. <laughs> I always struggle with getting them uh, wound around the screw head. So take a few minutes, pop them in, and you're done. And I love them. They're really great. And if you happen to screw it up and you need to pop it back out, cut yourself a piece of wire, pop it in the hole right above it. It releases it. You can pull the wire back out. But yeah, if you got a faulty switch, that's another easy win. Now, how many of you guys have ever been swinging something around in the house, hopefully not one of your kids, and you broke off a light bulb right in the socket? Now, this is, again, this is a simple one, but it tends to freak people out just a little bit. Take a minute, go downstairs, turn your power off to that light. Then you know it's safe. A couple different ways. If there's enough of the light sticking out, you can actually take a potato <laughs> Don't waste a good potato if you can help it, but take a potato, cut it in half and put the, the flesh part 
up onto the light bulb that's broken in the socket and then reverse it and turn it back out if there's enough there and it'll work <laughs> okay so i'm not the only one amy says she breaks off light bulbs in the barn all the time so there's a couple of solutions for that too well a few but there are um rough service bulbs that'll take a little more beating there are rubber coated light bulbs that we used to sell to fish plants a little more expensive but if they break you don't get glass anywhere or you can put a little cage around them all of those are simple but you know what? It's kind of fun to, to learn the skills of <laughs> removing a broken light bulb from a socket. So now, if you can't really get a potato up in there or you don't really want to waste a good potato, needle nose pliers usually work. A lot of, again, back up, Tim. Put glasses on before you do this because I am miserable. This is the guy that ended up in the ER twice in two weeks, twice in one week, sorry, for sawdust because I was cutting two different times, not wearing safety glasses. So again, do as I do, not as I say. And the doctor really gave me shit the second time because I didn't, I do wear them now, but so wear safety glasses. And then, so when it breaks off, break the rest of that glass off. And all you're going to have left in there is that wire, the metal base. You can usually grab that kind of pinch it with um, needle nose pliers and then turn it reverse. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And John says in gloves and yes, uh, my left hand is scarred beyond, well, not beyond belief, but I have scars everywhere. Every one of them tells a good story about me being a dumbass because I took my gloves off. Best one was one day uh, when I was driving dump truck, we were hauling contaminated soil. We had to get in the back of the dump truck and line the body with poly. And we'd roll the thing out, lay it down, and then cut it off with an X-Acto knife and then hop out of the truck. Well, I did that one day. It was early in the morning. It was like day four, driving like crazy. And I went and I rolled that out. Now, gloves might not have protected me perfectly, but I would always put my hand down on the plastic and then I would take the exacto and I'd go zip right across. Except that morning, I went zip and went right over the end of my pinky finger and went right through it. Whew. Yeah, I hopped out and I told the guy that I was working with, I said, I think I might need to go to the doctor. He says, You damn well need some stitches. I drove the tandem dump truck back to the yard, then drove my truck back to the doctor's office and got some stitches and had it fixed. Call of the day. But gloves would have made the cut a lot less. So yes, wear safety protection because I got a lot of dumbass stories about things I've done over the years when I was younger that I shouldn't have done. But yeah, so anyway, grab that base, twist it out. Just be careful because something I've done a couple of times is the broken off light socket is very similar to the socket that the light bulb screws into. And if you grab both of them, you can actually pull the old wire socket to the whole light bulb fixture right out so just be careful that you grab only the right one so that's it yeah so uh number three this one's a little more complicated but it's not bad so if you ever have your breakers turned on but say some of the lights or some of the plugs on a certain circuit say that five times fast a certain circuit aren't working so the very first house that my wife and i bought one day i came home turned the light on, heard a pop, and all of a sudden, the plugs on one side of the wall were working. The plug here was working, but the rest of the plugs and the ceiling fan no longer worked. And so what ended up happening was there was a short or a loose connection in the plug, the last plug that stopped working. And when I turned on the power to it, it popped the wire off and it created an open circuit so that from there on, I had no power. And this was back when I had no clue what I was doing, but the more important thing was I had a really, uh, a really good life skill called desperation. 
and poverty and we had no money to hire anybody so i had to learn so this was pre-youtube but there were videos and things i started digging online and it said just follow it back so what you do in this instance if you ever have a partial circuit that isn't working figure out where it stops working so find what's working find what isn't working meet it in the middle find the last thing that is the last thing that isn't and then open them up because if you ever have that, it's going to be where there's a wire connection. Now, as long as somebody wasn't a dumbass and they buried a junction box, that's a box where wires come together, behind a wall that you don't know about, it's going to be wherever a wire connection is made. So it's going to be at a light, at a switch, or at a plug. So you're going to open it up, check your plugs, where the power isn't working, and look and check the connections. Are they black? Are they loose? Are they sparking? <laughs> Any of that. And when you find it, fix it. That's it. It's simple, you know? And the best part is if you turn the power off before you start working on it, you can't hurt yourself. You can't hurt anything else. And if you're not changing anything, you're just looking to fix things or replace things, you can't frig it up any worse. I almost, uh, <laughs> almost slipped and used the F-bomb there tonight. I'm getting a little carried away talking about electrical. Anyway, uh, so, oh, <laughs> Dave Clark, here we go. I... <laughs> Dave Clark says that's another t-shirt design had I had two really good life skills desperation and poverty <laughs> thank you guys I love this because I am keeping a list of these and when the channel gets just a little bigger we will make some swag but uh, you know my personal favorite has still been prepping since Y2K but uh, I put this up uh, on the screen here so that I can get a screenshot later on but yes Dave thank you <laughs> uh, okay next one installing a new outlet or replacing an old one this is just as easy as a switch. And uh, yes, also, yes, and John's right. There also might be a junction box in between. Now, if there is, in theory, you know, they're supposed to just have a cover, but they're never supposed to be buried. Sometimes some unwitting homeowner might end up drywalling right over it. And then you're going to have a rough day because how the hell are you going to find that? But that's the big reason why junction boxes aren't supposed to be hidden because you need to know where electrical connections are just in case you need to service them or troubleshoot. Yeah. So anyway, just be careful guys and, and pay attention. And like I said, troubleshoot, figure out what's working, what isn't working, and then meet in the middle and try to fix it. So next, another super simple skill that isn't nearly as intimidating as one might think, and that's changing an outlet, uh, you know, either putting in a new one or replacing an old one. Again, the big thing you do is take a picture with your camera or, you know, on your phone so that you know what it looked like, then disconnect everything, then put in your new plug and reconnect everything just the way it was. Turn the power off, do your work, turn the power back on. Worst case, you're going to pop a breaker and you know you screwed something up. But honestly, if you took a picture and you followed exactly where you were, Bob's your uncle. You did good. Um, I don't want to get too technical on things. <laughs> How about a light fixture? Uh, how about replacing a light fixture with a ceiling fan? Again, super easy. Take your time. Take the old electric, uh, the old light fixture, you know, whatever you have to do, take the globe off, loosen. There's usually two bolts or two screws up there. Loosen them, turn your fixture, drop it down gently, not hard. Um, and then pay attention. Take your pictures, see where your wires are. There's usually a black and a white wire unless things are really funky. But again, if you take pictures, that's what I always do. I still do that. And I, I do electrical work for people sometimes, just small stuff, of course, but take a picture, you know what it is, then you know how to put things back together. And a ceiling fan might seem intimidating to you, but typically they hook up just the same way that a light does. Uh, 
mainly the only difference is they're going to have, um, I don't know what they call it, but a support wire. Basically, just in case the whole thing ever lets go from the ceiling, that that uh, safety chain or safety wire is going to end up holding on. <laughs> Amy says, Bob's your uncle. That's what my hubby says. Yeah, and I don't even have an Uncle Bob, and I don't know where the saying comes from, but I've heard it since, I don't know, Christ was a cowboy or something. It's been around forever, and I use it, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so if you're hooking up, if you want to put in, say, a ceiling fan in a place where you don't already have one, it's really not difficult undo everything, put everything together. The biggest thing is putting the ceiling fan together because they come all packed up in small boxes and you got to put each piece together. But if you take your time, first off, don't get any of them fancy ones. They drive me nuts. The ones with the remote controls and things like that. Because if you're not comfortable with electrical, just replace a normal ceiling light with a plain Jane ceiling fan and it'll work. Again, if you guys aren't sensing a pattern, it really isn't bad. Here's you know the pattern that we follow. Turn power off. Uh, loosely remove old fixture or switch. Take a picture of the setup. Unhook all your wires. Rehook everything up to the new one. Replace it. Turn your power back on and you're good to go. It's not bad. So now here's one that may not be for everybody. Uh, not everybody may have the stomach for it, but is replacing a breaker. And this is something I actually did for my first time. Uh, I didn't replace one. I added a breaker to my panel this year. And again, it's not as intimidating as you might think. John Palmer says, Bob was my father-in-law. As long as he's a good father-in-law. Uh, yeah, so 15 amp breakers are your most common. They're the ones that you're going to use the most often. They're the ones that are going to get tripped the most often. And they're the ones that are eventually going to wear out. So if you ever want to replace a breaker, it really isn't that difficult. But I'm not saying do it. I'm just going to kind of walk you through the process in case you ever decide you want to. Two things. Number one, you have to make sure you have your main power turned off. Then you need to take the cover off your electrical panel, usually four or six main screws. That's it. Take it off, throw the panel down on the ground. Then get, you know, wear gloves because you don't want to accidentally touch something, even though it should be dead. And then take your voltage tester and run it all up and down to make sure that there's not power coming through somewhere that you don't know about. And if there isn't, I was going to say Bob's your uncle, but you're good to go. <laughs> so from there, literally hooking up a breaker in some ways is easier than hooking up a switch or an electric or a, an outlet. Three wires, just like everything else, black, white, and bare for ground. And you only hook one wire into your breaker. And then that's the black one. That's the hot wire goes into the breaker. Then the white one goes into the neutral bar on your electrical panel. And the green one or the bare one goes into your ground bar. It's really not that hard. Then you push the breaker into place. It can only go in one way. And then you you probably have to knock out a removable panel, a little slot for the, um, for the breaker. Put your panel cover back on. Put your screws back on. Turn your power back on. And that is it. Oh, let's see. So this should be good. Dave Clark says, oh, here we are. It's originally, Bob's your uncle, is originally from the UK Commonwealth countries. Earliest known form was 1924. Full version is Bob's your uncle and Fanny's your aunt. That's, I don't know if it's a maritime thing. That That's um, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI, where I grew up, that area. But we have a lot of weird sayings out there that you don't hear in a lot of other places. Uh, there's a lot more leftover British vernacular there. Things like Eve's trough that we call our gutters and... <laughs> Our coach is called a Chesterfield. Uh, I do not know why, 
but yeah, so there's a lot of uh, British stuff there. Yeah, yeah. That, but thanks for sharing that, Dave. Um, so yeah, that's replacing a breaker. It's not hard. Um, how about here's something that's even simpler. If your wife, or uh, in Amy's case here, your husband is getting tired of the bathroom fan not working or making too much noise or you know just underperforming like it should, it's one of the simplest upgrades that you can do or replacements in some ways. But if you ever look up at your ceiling fan in your bathroom, that plastic grill, just pull it down a little bit. There's going to be two squeeze tabs. Squeeze them and remove the grill. Okay, now this is where it gets really difficult. Grab your screwdriver and remove the one screw that's up there. And that's just about it. At that point, the whole assembly is going to flop down. There's going to be a literal plug in there. That's it. Unplug it, take the assembly out, and you can, in for almost every fan out there, there's a generic module that you can replace it with. You buy an upgrade kit. So this is what you do now. You pop it in the slot, plug the plug in, flop it up, put the screw in, and put your new grill on, and you're done. Simple. I, I want this stuff to seem accessible because it is. It shouldn't be that scary. Uh, how about installing a GFI plug? So if anybody ever wants to know, I, I guess I kind of told you, but GFI is ground fault interrupter. And this is somewhere that you need, uh, if, if, if it's wet conditions, where power has a really good chance of um, shorting out or grounding out or whatever into a person through a wet area, you want to have a GFI. So that's in bathrooms, around kitchen sinks, and of course, any exterior plugs. All of them need to have it. And you know what? They're a little expensive. They're like, they're getting close to 30 bucks for one of those suckers. But if you go and buy one, it's just as simple as any other plug. Basically, you get your wires in and out. Replace, you know, if, if you can run a screwdriver and you know how to turn your power off, you can replace a GFI. Now, here's another one. This is one of my favorite. Uh, it, it's both a preparedness item, a self-sufficiency item, and it saves you money. And that is fixing an extension cord. Like I said, I've cut extension cords in half more damn times than I ever want to admit. <laughs> but uh, learn the art. This is something it's hard to explain in, in a you know, an audio podcast format, but go and watch a couple of videos on splicing wires, but it is a lot easier than you think. Basically, if you have a cut part in an extension cord, cut out both sides so that you have two good sides, strip the wires back, splice them together. Now, if you want to get real fancy, I love this stuff you can get. It's called heat shrink wrap, and they look like just little tiny rubber tubes that you put over the wires. Now, the important part is to put them on the wires before you connect the wires. Or you can do it like I did and cut them in half and then fit them on in place. But put them on before you fit your wires together, splice your wires together, slide them back into place, and then either use a lighter, a heat gun, any source of heat, and it will shrink that down and it'll make it look like some kind of professional did it instead of, you know, a three-year-old who wrapped it in electrical tape because, you know, he wanted to show off for daddy or something. So get yourself some of that. It also makes it watertight and it, it doesn't peel off like electrical tape can over time. But yeah, learn how to splice an electrical cord and then keep yourself a couple of good, uh, buy some extension cord ends and they come in two pieces. They're a lot simpler to install than you might think. You just feed the wire through, put some screws to the wires, slide the whole thing together, tighten it down and you're done. But I like to keep a couple of those ends, couple male ends, couple of female ends, and they're dirt cheap again. They're three or four bucks a piece. And that can mean the difference between having a functioning extension cord and not having one. And if the power's out and you need to run it, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so Brian says, uh, 
cut it in half and put two new ends on. Then you have a uh, then you new long cord. <laughs> well, you would have two cords out of the deal there. Either might yeah. Oh, then you buy a new cord. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and yeah. So um, from there, yeah. I mean, to me, I guess the the two big ones are the the labeling your electrical panel. That's huge for me. I think everybody should do it. And if you haven't, I mean, I can't say much. I literally took two years to do mine here at the house, but it worked. Um, and then number two is learn how to fix extension cords. But all of this is super accessible and it's way less scary than a person might think. Now, again, this is repairedness and we're talking about preparedness, you know, the art of home maintenance when help isn't around the corner, all good stuff. But what happens when help really isn't around the corner for months or longer, you know, the grid goes down. We got to have some backup power solutions. Um, We'll kind of work our way through these real quick, but <laughs> uh, batteries, you know, number one, have a good selection of rechargeable AA, AAAs on hand. Those are, to me, absolutely important. Um, now, the next one, and not everybody thinks this, I'm sure most of the workshop community will, but if you're listening to this on the recording, for sure, if you don't have the money for a generator, you probably already have a generator sitting in your driveway. All you need is an inverter to, to tap into that power. Now, before I don't want to, I I didn't want to miss what Brian said here. Labeling can save a life. You, yes, there are so many things that can go wrong with a mislabeled or unlabeled, you know, because we make assumptions. And if you guys have ever heard what happens when we assume it makes an ass out of you and me, well, it does. And uh, in this case, it could be a dead ass because uh, labeling can save a life. But yeah, so like I said, you probably already have the ability to generate electricity sitting in your driveway. And I got this idea to do an entire episode on the versatility of your home vehicle. You know, the fact that it, it can give you heat, it can give you light, it can give you a place to stay, it can give you power, all of those things. But you've got it there. Get yourself a good 1500 watt generator, uh, sorry, 1500 watt inverter. And remember, the reason we want to go with 1500 watts is because then you can plug in any household appliance that you want. Hook it up directly to your battery, run your vehicle. There you go. Now, if you want to upgrade, of course, look at some generators. I've talked about generators till the cows come home and I'll keep, I will do whole episodes on this in this series down the road. But, you know, your next step up from that, of course, is to have a generator or two on hand, because again, if, you know, if we have the, if we have our entire bug in location up and running in tip top shape, but we have no power coming in, well, Hey, we have a nice system, but <laughs> it's like having a gun with no ammo, right? Again, you, you've got a, a functioning electrical system in your home with no juice to power it. So you need to find a way to juice it up. And a generator is probably your best bet. Again, this is worst case scenario, but also we need to store fuel. Gas is important. Propane's important. Get yourself a dual fuel or a tri-fuel generator. Um, me, I love having mine uh, hooked up to the nat natural gas supply at this point. Now, again, when I first started talking about this, I got the naysayers who said, oh my God, why would you ever hook up in the natural gas? Because they're going to shut it off and uh, shit hits the fan emergency. Well, yeah, but you know what? Most times it absolutely won't be shut off, right? Now, here's something else to think about. In most areas, where are your power lines? They're up in the air. In most areas, where are your natural gas lines? Down underground. So most instances that are going to affect your power are going to leave your natural gas lines completely fine. And if they do, 
having an unlimited source of fuel for your generator is going to give you an unlimited source of power no matter how bad the wind's blowing. So yes, uh, Dave Clark has an awesome tip here. I need to save this one and mount the inverter on a piece of board so it won't fall into the engine compartment and cause more problems. You know, Dave, I have thought about that on a couple of instances and I never really came up with that idea. That is a great idea because I'm paranoid as shit that it's going to fall down and hit the uh, the fan in the front or the drive belt or something because they're not real big, right? So yeah, and John Palmer says, I've never lost natural gas. And yes, this really does piss me off a little bit because the naysayers, they're the same ones that say, don't ever buy a Chinese made generator, period. And yet they don't buy any generator because they don't have the money to buy any generator. You know what? A Chinese generator is better than no generator at all. And if I had my options, would I buy a Generac or, you know, a Honda or something? Yeah, I would. But you know what? I absolutely would rather have a generator that would work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, so yes, from there, of course, I, it, again, it does piss me off when people say, don't use natural gas because it'll get shut off. Like John said, he's never lost natural gas. I've lived in Alberta for eight years now. We've lost power every year, at least once, maybe twice or three times. And we have never lost natural gas in the entire vicinity, you know, three hours around me, there's never been a natural gas outage. There was one that came very close. There was a, a rupture in a pipeline, but they were able to keep it going. And Dave, I don't even know what I said that I got from Spirico and Harris, but man, I've been listening to their teachings for so many years. That the <laughs> you know, what, what do they say that, uh, you know, uh, the great teachers teach and then the, the learners build on to what everybody else has learned. You know, it's like Socrates and all of those guys. But I'm sure that three quarters of what I say has been filtered through someone else that I've heard it from because it, you know, great information is great information no matter where you, oh, the board. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I don't remember. That's awesome. I, I just went back. If, if you guys ever want to listen to an incredible podcast series, back when um, Jack on the survival podcast used to have Stephen Harris on, they did a bug out trailer and some backup power videos or um, audio recordings. That's an incredible bunch of sessions. I went back and re-listened to them all recently. And there's so much good stuff in there. And so much of what I teach came out of all of that that I've heard over the years. And yeah. So anyway, yes, to me, natural gas is an awesome idea. Now the BTUs in it or the amount of power in it is less than gasoline or propane, but the unlimited supply to me is, is worth every penny. So take it for what it is. And also, also realize that I do store gas and I do store power, uh, propane as well. So don't always put all your eggs in one basket. Um, again, know what the bare minimum is to get by on, like know how little power you actually need. Because when we, when we sit down and think about it, in most instances, we need a lot less power than we think we do. I got talking to my dad one day and he's like, well, I need a big generator. Cause I got a, I got a deep freeze and I got a, a blower motor on my furnace and a uh, sump pump. Well, I'm like, yeah, but dad, you can cycle those through and just run one at a time. And you know, he had that eureka moment and you're like, oh, you know what? In a lot of cases, a person can run on 1500 watts of power as long as you just cycle through things. So just something to think about. And then of course, how about getting by without any power at all? Hot water on the barbecue, um, heat your home with natural gas. If, if you live in an area where natural gas is, you know, 
pertinent. You can cook with propane, natural gas on an outdoor grill or a stove. Uh, heat your home with wood or gas. Um, for years, I swore off wood. I said I'd never go back to it. And now I've been considering uh, hooking up a wood stove in our living room just as a backup for a backup for a backup. But yeah, so uh, yeah, to me, there's so much we can do with electrical. And I wanted to, it, it's such a hard topic to know what to cover and what to leave alone. But to me, I wanted to, I wanted to look at, okay, what can we prevent before it happens? Then what can we fix ourselves? And then where do we go from there? Because in a worst case scenario, you still need to know how to repair all this stuff, but then you also need to know how to generate your own power. I've been toying quite a bit with solar and I'll let you guys know. I had some issues with my inverter recently. I had to send it back to get a new one, uh, but it seems to be charging the batteries quite well when I can keep the snow off the panels. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So I hope you guys kind of enjoyed this look at the electrical system of the home. Um, John Palmer says, I am a truck driver. I get points when I fuel. I bought a 3000 watt inverter for free. You know, we could do, we should do an entire episode. Maybe I'll get all you guys to give me suggestions on this, but points are incredible. In Canada right now, uh, President's Choice points seem to be one of the best. And I fill up with my credit card and then pay my credit card off almost immediately every time. And it doubles my points and I'm able to get free groceries and free gas with it. And right now we've got like $400 worth of free groceries or gas on the card, just simply from spending it for the business this year. So yeah, look at points, guys. Um, you know, some people are scared of credit cards and, you know, I understand that. But there's ways to get points, even if you don't use credit cards. But if you do, stockpile them bastards and save yourself some money and buy yourself, treat yourself. Like last year when I bought my uh, tri-fuel generator, about 20% of that was paid for with my Costco, um, what do you call it? We, we have the the executive membership and you get your money uh, back from it. So yes. Um, John Palmer says, uh, same brand that Spearco recommends. Oh, for the, uh, I can't remember which one it was, but yes, if you can remember the brand list it and then know your Joe says, I need to figure out the best way to tie in a generator to a breaker box. Well, Joe, I'm not saying it's the best way and I'm not even giving you advice per se. But if you check out my video on my, the first time I ran a, my whole home generator setup, there's quite a bit of information in there about how I tied it in. And if you want more information, uh, message me outside of the video too, and we can talk about it. But I basically set mine up to backfeed. Uh, you know, you do need by law to have a, um, a switch that will only allow you to um, turn on your breaker, your main or your backfeed breaker. But anyway, we can talk about that another night, but it, it really did work. I have a 50 amp outlet outside and we we're able to, to go crazy. Um, so what else we got here? Chris Dixon says, I always get a, a kickback card of some sort. Yes. So guys, man, that is a, a, should be a prepper rule of thumb. I mean, who doesn't love getting free gear? So yeah, figure out your best way, do your math, you know, get out a spreadsheet, whatever it needs to be and figure out the best way to get uh, points and then stack them double them up, whatever it takes. But yeah, it works. Um, Dave Clark says, that reminds me, listening to your expert counsel about wood stoves and mobile homes, a channel, Live Simple, Live Free. They did a couple of videos about using a wood stove in a tiny home. Well, I'll have to check that out, guys, uh, or uh, Dave, because yeah, to me, I love that stuff. I, 
I'm a, a wood stove geek. I mean, I used to love wood years ago and I've kind of gotten in. Yes. Uh, and Brian, when he was on, was talking about it as well. Um, if you go back and find the, sorry guys, if you go back and find the episode that Brian was on in the uh, show notes, there's actually a link to the wood stove that he uses in his uh, travel trailer. So to me, uh, yeah, I, lo I love that idea, but uh, wood is so versatile. And even out here on the prairies, I can still get free wood all the time. Last summer, sorry, what was it? Last spring, we had a big uh, softwood, it was a spruce or pine, huge thing, come down at a rental that I look after. And it went right over the uh, TV and internet lines. And that thing strung them lines down just like a violin string. You could pluck that. I thought it was going to break. And so I ended up cutting it up quickly, getting it off there. And I had it sold before I even had it loaded on my truck because another customer seen I was cutting up a tree, called me and said, hey, I'll pay you whatever you want. Just drop all the wood off right in my yard. So yeah, I mean, that is super important. I, I But that being said, at this point, I'm going to start stockpiling wood in my backyard again. I don't even have a wood stove yet, although I did see a really cool one the other day at another abandoned property that the bank's going to tear down. So I may end up looking at bringing that one home. It's not brand new. It's from the late 80s, early 90s, but it would work in an inst uh, you know, in, in a pinch, in a grid down, shit at the fan kind of situation. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. So yeah, uh, Brian says, we'll go through these comments here. We have a wood stove in our travel trailer. And then Dave said, got to cut small piece of wood, but it works just fine. So six inches, I didn't realize it had to be that short, but I think I did remember Brian talking about that in the past, which you know what? Six inches. So what? I mean, you know, if you got to cut it, if you're already cutting it ahead of time and you know, it's got to be that short, you're just going to cut a few extra. And it'd be a good excuse to pick yourself up a nice uh, DeWalt battery powered chainsaw, you know, a shameless plug for DeWalt because I love my DeWalt chainsaw. I've got the 60 volt uh, flex volt one and that thing is great. I mean, it has 90% of the power of a gas one and the best part is you know, no sucking in fumes, none of that stuff. All right, guys. Anyway, I pretty much need to finish her up at this point. I'm, like I said, going to be leaving on a jet plane in a day and a half. We're heading out tomorrow morning to go to the city. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I haven't flown in a few years. My girls haven't flown since they were six months old. But <laughs> anyway, a couple of quick notes here. Uh, First episode back, yeah, Charlotte says DeWalt needs to sponsor me. Yes, I would. <laughs> anyway, oh, hey, Tactical Rednecks on here. Nice to see you, Sonny. Uh, he says, I usually just use the Sawzall. And uh, remember, I got a care package given to me from Diablo earlier this year, and they have some pruning blades in there that will turn your Sawzall into a chainsaw. So look at those blades, guys. They're really good. Uh, what, what I found they did was they would cut through wood without it um, basically trying to take your shoulders out of joint, you know, they, they worked really, really good. And you know what guys, um, when we get back in, I wanted to say in the spring, but no, when we get back, um, after Christmas, maybe we'll start running these a little bit longer. Maybe we'll do like an hour of teaching time and then some Q and a at the end, which would be a lot of fun, but yeah. So a couple quick things, the next episode back on PBN prepper broadcast network, uh, which will also be the next episode of Repairedness, will be January 6th. That's going to be episode five of Repairedness. We're going to talk about home heating and solutions. So yeah, you know, uh, yes, Merry Christmas, Chris. Uh, Merry Christmas, John. Appreciate your guys' support so much. 
Um, number two, guys, anybody who hasn't subscribed yet, you know, shameless plug again, let's get me to 3,000. Let's get our community to 3,000 before the new year. That's been my goal. So let's do it. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of recorded content coming out over the holidays. So enjoy it. I'm probably going to have some impromptu live streams. I may have some, you know, I'm going to do some uh, prepping while flying, that kind of stuff. Probably just do some recordings, but we'll do a couple live streams too. So if you happen to get the notification, pop on, have a chat with me. It'll be great. And we're going to do the December 30th, 50th episode of the workshop podcast. You as well, Amy. Thank you very much. Going to be a holiday extravaganza. I'm super excited. I'm actually kind of sad. I'm going to miss you guys. <laughs> I, I This has become such a part of my life. I enjoy it. So for the next three weeks, you know, we'll be back December 30th. So it's going to be great. And then finally, guys, uh, one last quick thing. If you want to keep hearing top quality preparedness content tomorrow on PBN, is Carl A.D. Brown. He has the show called The Strange Truth, and it's always a lively discussion centered around Christianity, preparedness, and the best part is the new stories that nobody else wants to touch. So guys, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great Christmas break. Merry Christmas, guys.